I invite you to have a seat. The ushers can come forward and take the offering as part of our worship. It's so awesome to have you here this morning. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors over at Main Campus, and it's such an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you this morning, to be able to preach the Word of God. So thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it's, such, it's awesome to see what God has done over here at Mountain View Sunnyside, the way he's used you guys. It's so cool. A little bit about me, if you don't know me. I'm uh, married to my lovely wife, Roxana. Um, we've been married for a little over five years, and we have our daughter, uh, one-year-old, named Charlotte. And this is Charlotte right here at her one-year birthday party. <laughs> she likes cake, uh, as you can see. Um, and one of the things that we have discovered as, as new parents is that it's amazing, right? It's the best thing ever. It's also very expensive, right? Having a baby, it costs a lot of money. Like, there's a lot of stuff. You have to get diapers, wipes, toys, clothes, like all kinds of stuff. Her headbands cost more than my t-shirts. It's insane how much carrying around another human being costs. So at having Charlotte, we've discovered that. We've also discovered just how loving and generous so many people around us are, right? We've had so many friends, family members, people uh, who go to our churches just be so generous and give us stuff, right? Like clothes. She's set for clothes for like the next two, three, four years from what people have given us. Toys. Somebody, somebody gave us a crib. People have been so generous to us. And every time something like this happens, it shows us first the, this individual, this family's love and generosity for us, but it also shows us the love and generosity of Jesus Christ, right, who gave up everything for us uh, so that we could live, so that we could be saved. Uh, so as we, t- we were in this series on generosity, so as we were looking at generosity, and today as we continue on this series, I'd like to ask you to keep in mind that photo of Charlotte, her hugging that cake, and whenever you think of that, think, and that reveals both indiv- the individual and, and familial acts of love and, and generosity, but also reflects the love and generosity of our God in heaven, uh, of Jesus Christ, who gave up everything for us. So with that, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to pull them out. We're going to read together from Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 1 to 10. Uh, read about the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus meeting Zacchaeus. So we'll start from verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save those who 
who are lost. It's just an incredible story of God's salvation, of the ways that people are transformed when they encounter Jesus. And for me, when I was reading through that passage, studying, preparing for it for today, there two questions came into my mind on how to approach this passion. So the first question is, how are we saved? Right? This passage deals a lot with salvation. How are we actually saved? How do we receive this salvation from God? And the second is, what does this have to do with generosity? Because Zacchaeus is saved, and he's, he starts giving away all kinds of stuff. He starts becoming so generous. What is, what's the connection between generosity and between salvation? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So the first question, how are we saved? The first point, anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. Right? In this story, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. says so he's the chief tax collector. He's up there. He's, he's powerful. Um, and it, in this time, in this culture, tax collectors are not very well liked. Uh, because the Jewish people, they're kind of uh, little people under the control of the Roman government. Right? So the Roman empire rules over Israel, rules over the Jewish people. So for somebody to be a tax collector, they're collecting Jewish taxes to give to the Roman government. So the fellow Jews look upon the tax collectors really as traitors. They're betraying their own people. And also oftentimes, tax collectors would be very wealthy, and they would get rich because as they're collecting taxes, they would keep a little bit off the top, right? They'd skim a little bit off the top and put it in their pockets and walk away with a little bit more money. Think Sheriff of Nottingham, right, in Robin Hood. If you're like me, you think of the Disney animated film of Robin Hood uh, with all the, the different animals as, as the characters. That's what I'm thinking of, Sheriff of Nottingham. This is Zacchaeus. Right? He's not well-liked. He's betrayed his people, and that's how he's gotten wealthy. He's gotten rich off the backs of the people, of his people, who he has betrayed. He's not a very good guy. Not well-liked. And yet, and yet, Jesus comes to him, and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, he says, come down. I'm going to be in your house today. And this, this is one of the most important truths about the gospel that you can take home today. Is that the gospel doesn't say, get your act together, pull it together, and then come to me, and then you can be saved. That's not the gospel. In the gospel, God comes to you just as you are. Just as you are in the sins that you commit, in the, as the person that you are, he comes to you, and by his grace, he makes you right. He gives you right standing before God. Right? The gospel is for the outcast. And Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. The gospel is for the outcast. The gospel is for the divorcee. The gospel is for the thief. The gospel is for the sinner. The gospel is for the sinner. And this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about how we live. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care about whether we do good things. He, he cares more than we can possibly imagine. He cares so much that his standard for righteousness, for right living, is higher than anything we could ever meet. But that's the point. The gospel is a gospel of grace, not of works. It's a gospel of grace, not of works. And God offers us this salvation, any of us, because he loves us. Anyone can be saved, even Zacchaeus, even me, even you. At least for our second point, we are saved by God's grace through faith, which sometimes takes great persistence. Persistence, right? So my wife and I, uh, we spent a couple years uh, living in Germany, working in a church there. We just moved back last March, um, and it was, you know, amazing. Germany is such a cool country. Uh, everything is beautiful. There's all these castles, 
Um, uh, right? Everything is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a history nerd, so there's so much history there. Everything is old and not like, oh, look, that building was made in 1972 old. It's like, oh, that building was made in the year 772. Like, it's old. Everything is old in Germany, and it's really cool. But one of the hardest things that we had to do when we were living in Germany is actually learn German. Right? That, it is hard. Even Germans know that learning German is hard. Germans have a saying where they say, uh, Deutsche Sprache, Schwiersprache, which means German language, hard language. Right? So everybody knows German is difficult. It's hard to learn. And we messed up a ton. At least I did. I can't count how many times I was in the middle of a conversation. You know, somebody's just talking at me. I have no idea what they're saying. I'm nodding my head. Yes, yes, yes. They stop talking, and they're waiting for me to respond. And I, ah, I don't know. Can you repeat what you said in English? Then I can respond. I don't know. Right? There's so many times we're in these situations, and so many times we're messing up. And probably the funniest story is early on when we were there, uh, we were at a party, and uh, there's a bunch of people there. We just learned German. We just knew a few things, and the conversation was revolving around babies. And we knew that because the wor- German word for baby is baby. So we were good. We knew what they were talking about. And Roxana, my wife, is braver than I am. So she wanted to get in- be involved in this conversation, to be included. So she she wants to say, "I like babies." So in German, that's "Ich mag babies." Ich mag babies. So. But when she says it, it comes out, ich mache babies, which in German that means I am making babies. So that's a little, a little different meaning than I like babies. So we made our share of mistakes, but, but we were persistent. Right? We kept at it. Uh, we went to German school six hours a week for a year and a half, over and over and over again, drilling down the grammar, learning everything. We, just all this kind of homework on top of it. We spoke German with our friends, even if they spoke English, because we wanted to learn it. We watched some German TV, which was not very good. We watched the NFL with German commentators, which was very, very funny, uh, the commentators. We did all the things that you could do to learn a language, to immerse ourselves in the culture and in the language, and we learned it. All right, we learned German. We, we, we eventually were able to speak conversationally with all kinds of people, with friends and with, with strangers. Uh, Roxana, by the end of it, she was able to present communion, uh, which she was the first woman ever in our church to present communion. She was able to do that in German. By the end, I was able to preach, actually, in German. Right, God blessed us with the ability to, to speak uh, in a new language, to speak in German, and we were persistent. We kept at it. With great persistence, we learned German. Zacchaeus in this story is also very persistent, right? So the, it says he's short, so we can't see Jesus. But, but think about it. If you're short and I'm tall and you stand in front of me, I can still see over you. These tall people, they could have still seen over short Zacchaeus to see Jesus, but they did not like him so much that they kept him out. They blocked him out of the circle every time he tried to get by. So I feel, I feel like at least I might be like, when I try to get through, I can't see, nah, I'm going home. It's not worth it. But Zacchaeus does not. Zacchaeus is persistent. He doesn't give up. He's re- maybe rejected by all these people, but he wants to see Jesus. So he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore tree. Now this, for such a powerful person, would have to also be humiliating, right? He's powerful, so everybody can see he's up in the tree. Now people are probably snickering, laughing at him. Oh, he has to go climb the tree to see Jesus. He's short, blah, blah, blah. But he's persistent. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't give up. And he does see Jesus. And he gets a whole lot more. 
Jesus calls him down and blesses him with salvation. And so Jesus wants us to be persistent too. Now maybe, maybe at the beginning of this year you made some, some, uh, some goals, some things you wanted to accomplish. So uh, maybe one of them was reading through the Bible and you wanted to start from Genesis and go all the way through. So you got through Genesis and Exodus and those were fine because lots of cool stories in there you got through. Then you got to Leviticus and there's a bunch of boring rules. And then you got to Numbers and you just kind of stopped, stopped reading. You just gave up. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been praying for something for years and years. You've been praying for this one thing and it hasn't happened. So you think, what's the point? Maybe I should just stop. Maybe you're in, uh, you have a difficult relationship. Maybe it's with a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a friend. And you know God wants you to be good, so you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to return insults with kindness. You're trying to you know, be a peacemaker in this relationship, but the, it's still as broken as it was before. And you think, gosh, what's the point? What's the point to trying to do the right thing? I think we've all been there, right? Whether you've been a Christian all your life or you're, you're not a Christian at all today. We've all been there. We've all experienced this. And I think what the Lord wants to say to you today is be persistent. Don't give up. And it's not be persistent in sin. Be persistent in seeking after God. Be persistent like Zacchaeus in trying to get a glimpse, trying to see God, trying to see Jesus. Because Zacchaeus is, is persistent. And he does see Jesus. If you don't give up, if you stay persistent, if you keep at it, Jesus is going to meet you. He's going to come to you. You're going to see him. Note, however, that it's not Zacchaeus' persistence that saves him. Right? The passage doesn't say Zacchaeus is persistent to see Jesus and therefore he is saved. That's not how it goes. In verse 9, it, it tells us what, what's happening here, how Zacchaeus is saved. In verse 9, Jesus says, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. A true son of Abraham. What does that mean? All right, who's Abraham? Abraham, right? If you remember from like when you were a kid, Father Abraham had many sons. He's that guy back in patriarchy times, back in Genesis, all that time ago. The guy who God called to, to begin the, the Israelites, to begin the Jewish people. All right, so Abraham, Jew... Uh, Zacchaeus is a Jew, so the literal meaning of this passage is probably because of Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, he has shown himself to be a true Jew, to be a true son of Abraham. That's probably the literal meaning. But there is a different, a different meaning to this passage. In Genesis 15, it says this, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. The Lord counted Abraham as righteous because of his faith. He wasn't counted as righteous because of his race or ethnicity. He didn't, wasn't counted as righteous because he was a Jew, because he was white or black or whatever. He wasn't counted as righteousness because of all the good things he had done. He wasn't counted as righteous because he did a lot of good works. He was counted as righteous because of his faith. And this is why Zacchaeus was saved. This is how Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham. He believed in Jesus. He had faith in Jesus. It wasn't because of his persistence. It wasn't because he was a Jew. It wasn't because of his good works. It was because he had faith in Jesus Christ as a Savior. 
And Galatians 3 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This was true for Zacchaeus. And this is true for you and me. If we believe in Jesus, if we have faith in Jesus, we are heirs of God. All the promises in the Bible, they belong to us through faith in Jesus. We can be saved like Zacchaeus if we have faith in Jesus. And that leads us to the third point. Jesus invites us to this salvation by faith. He invites us to salvation at great cost. Here, Jesus is the one who invites Zacchaeus down. Zacchaeus uh, wants to see Jesus. He's persistent in seeing Jesus. But if it's just Zacchaeus, Jesus would have just kept walking down the path. Zacchaeus would have seen him and nothing else, got down from the tree and kept on living. But Jesus stops He goes up to him and calls him down, Zacchaeus, by name, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. We're going to share a meal together. Jesus invites Zacchaeus to salvation. He is the initiator of salvation. And he invites you and me to salvation. We can be persistent in seeking after him. We can be persistent in trying to find Jesus. But Jesus is the one who finds us. Jesus is the one who comes to us, who invites us, who meets us, who offers us freely his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his freedom, his love. Jesus offers us all this. But this invitation does come at a great cost. After Jesus invites Zacchaeus down, verse 7 says this, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And you can just sense when you're reading through that, their displeasure, right? They, they must be, it's, it's like they're saying, you know, Jesus, we thought, we thought you were this holy guy. We thought you were this good man. And now, what, you're hanging out with this sinner? This guy who's a traitor and a thief? What does that say about you? We thought you were holy, but maybe not. Right? Jesus loses his reputation in order to meet Zacchaeus in order to invite him to salvation. He loses his reputation as a holy man just to save one sinner. And so with us. Jesus invites us too to salvation. He invites you and me. And he does so at great cost. Not merely to lose his reputation, but he does it at the cost of his life. Jesus was mocked, He was abandoned, betrayed by his closest friends and followers. He was tortured, beaten, whipped, crucified, hung on a cross, died, and was buried for us. He bore the weight of the sins of the world, all the sins that I've committed and all the sins that you've committed, They rested on Jesus' shoulders, and he experienced hell. The Bible says that God the Father had forsaken him. He was abandoned by God the Father so that we would not be abandoned by the Father, so that we would be adopted into his family. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us so that we could be saved. It was a great cost, but for God, it was worth it for you and you and you. All for us. 
That's the gospel. It's God's grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But he offers it to us freely because he loves us. Right? It's, it's the good news. And what does this have to do with generosity? What's the connection here? Because uh, it's not, again, that Zacchaeus does all these good things. He, he gives away his stuff. He's generous. And then he's saved. That's not how it goes. Right? After coming into contact with Jesus, Zacchaeus becomes a completely changed person. But his generosity, his change, is not the cause of his salvation. It reveals his salvation. Does that make sense? When Zacchaeus gives away his stuff, it doesn't cause him to be saved. That's not the reason he's saved, but it reveals that Jesus Christ has saved him. And that shows the difference between religion and the gospel. In religion, we say, I obey God. I do a lot of good things. I'm a good person. Therefore, God saves me. And that leads to all kinds of pride and prejudice and all kinds of sin. God, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace says, no, no, no. The God of the universe, the God who created everything, who created all of us, who's all powerful, who can do whatever he wants, that God accepts me. That God accepted me as I am. Therefore, I obey. Therefore, out of thanksgiving and joy and love for this God who did everything for me, therefore, I obey. And that's quite a difference. That's quite a difference. The good things that we do don't save us, but they show that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. If we understand the gospel, this is what happens. Our lives change. They show that we've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So what does this have to do with generosity? Everything. Generosity with money, generosity with time, with possessions, with talents, with everything. That's how we know we are saved. It's the proof you could say. So the first point of these last two, we know we are saved if Jesus has changed the amount we give. The amount we give should change after we've encountered the awesome grace, mercy, and generosity of Jesus. Zacchaeus is transformed after his encounter with Christ. For, For Jews at this time, it's considered wildly generous if you give away 20% of your stuff, of your money, your possessions, your belongings, 20% that's crazy generous. Any more is unwise. It's fiscally irresponsible. It's, it's not prudent. Zacchaeus gives away half of everything he owns. 50% of everything he owns he gives away to the poor. And on top of that, Zacchaeus looks to make restitution for all the, the money that he's stolen from people as a tax collector. All the stuff that he skimmed off the top, he wants to make it right. And according to Jewish law, the way to do that would be to give back the amount that you stole plus one-fifth, right? So if I stole from you $100 and I want to make it right, I would give you back $120. Zacchaeus gave back four times what he stole. So he stole $100, he gave back $400. Encountering Jesus transformed Zacchaeus. It made him more generous. It changed the amount that he gave. He started giving more. Being saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ made him a more generous person. He began to live this complete life of generosity. How much more should the same be said of us? Right? When we've encountered the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, who gave up everything for us, right? Christians should be the most generous people in the world. So we have the most reason to be generous. Our Lord and Savior gave up everything for us. And again, this isn't just money. 
It's everything, right? Generosity is taking care of your ailing parents. That's generosity. Generosity is, is cooking a meal for somebody who's grieving, who's going through a hard time. Generosity is taking your blessed day off to go and help a friend or a neighbor renovate their home. Right? Generosity is, is money, yes, but it's time, it's possessions, it's energy, it's talents and abilities. It involves everything. So if you're thinking, what's a practical step I can take? I'd encourage you to talk to Pastor Ken or Pastor Greg after the service and join a prayer team. What does that have to do with generosity? Everything, just like all these other things do. Because praying, we have to be generous with our time rather than just sitting in these cushy chairs during the the singing. We we get up and when we go up here to the front and pray with people, that's, that's being generous, right? Being generous with our minds and our thoughts and being generous with our prayers, making them outward focused on other people rather than ourselves and inward focused. That's generosity. And the reality is, we give and become generous because at one point, someone prayed for us. So that's a practical step you can take. Being, meeting Jesus, encountering Jesus Christ, changes everything about who we are. We become more generous. We start to give more. That's what shows we fully grasped the grace of Jesus. And the second point in this series and the last point for the whole sermon is we know we are saved if Jesus has changed the heart with which we give. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up, and we're going to end with this. Right, it changes the heart with which we give. Zacchaeus gives far beyond what was required him by law, and he was stoked about it. He was excited to give. He wasn't gritting his teeth. He wasn't upset. Oh, gosh, I'm a Christian now. Why do I have to give all this money? He was excited. He was happy. You know, for for Zacchaeus, the question was, how much do I have to give? The question is, how much can I give? His heart changed. The amount that Zacchaeus gave changed. His actions changed. But his heart also changed. Right, and this reveals something about generosity. Right, the more money we have, the more stuff we have, the more power and the more control we have. This is true. When we have more money, more stuff, we have more power to do what we want, to go where we want, to eat what we want, uh, to buy what we want. Right, we have more power, more control. And... Uh, you know, if, so for example, if, if I have all this money and I only give so much so that it doesn't change my power, I'm not actually being generous. I'm just trying to be seen as generous. But that's not true generosity. Right? We see true generosity in the way that Jesus talks about in Luke 21, where he talks about the poor widow. Right? In this story, Jesus has, there's, there's all these Pharisees, there's all these important people, they're coming and they're dropping all this money in the offering basket, trying to look, look great. And then this poor old widow comes, and she drops two coins in the offering basket. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. She gave so much that it changed her power to do whatever it is that she could do. She didn't have much, but she gave it all away for the sake of Jesus. To be truly generous as Jesus was generous, that it means giving sacrificially. Giving so that we're not worrying about our living standards or worrying about how much freedom we have to do what we want to do. Giving so that we can honor Jesus Christ who gave up everything, everything for us. This way of living is difficult. There's... there's 
We shouldn't sugarcoat it. It's hard. It's hard to live this way. It's hard to, to give sacrificially. It's hard to give more and to give with a happy heart and to give so that our power is weakened in the world. It's hard to live this way. It's not easy. The Christian life is not easy. But if we understand the grace of Jesus Christ, all that he's done for us, that he died on the cross and rose again so that we could have life, so that we could inherit the kingdom, eternal life, so that we could have the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can live in us. But we could live with him forever in heaven where we'll have redeemed bodies. We're not just going to be sitting in clouds playing harps. We'll have redeemed bodies so we can glorify him where there will be no crying, no sorrows, no pain. We will see God. We will walk with him as friends. We will be called his sons and daughters. God offers us all this through Jesus Christ. When we understand that, living in this way is possible. When we have the Spirit living within us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it's possible. We can do it. For if Zacchaeus was changed just by knowing that Jesus lost his reputation in order to love him, boy, how much more should it move us, me and you, if we know that Christ gave up everything to love us? Let's pray. Jesus, we can't say thank you enough. You are so good. You are so loving. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for your gospel, that you save us by your grace. That's not all that we do, but that you save us freely because you love us. We thank you for your generosity on the cross. So if you're here today and you haven't experienced that salvation, you're not a Christian, you haven't been forgiven of your sins, maybe you've tried to to quit sinning, you've tried to live the right way, but it hasn't worked. Just like for Zacchaeus, Jesus is inviting you today to salvation. He's calling you by name. He's calling you by name. So with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you would like to meet Jesus, you would like for him to invite you to salvation, you want to experience his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace, I invite you to raise your hand and somebody afterward would love to pray with you through that. Is there anybody like that today? You would like to meet Jesus. He's calling out your name today and you want to experience his salvation? Is anybody like that? For the rest of us, how will the generosity of Jesus make us more generous? How will the generosity of Jesus make us more generous with everything? So Lord, help us to be generous. Help us to give and give and give. Help us to give so that our power in the world is changed. Help us to give so that people are blessed. Help us to give so that the world changes and honors your name through everything. So Lord, whatever it is that's been sticking in our head, that the example of, oh, maybe I should do this. Lord, help us to do that thing. Help us to be persistent in doing good for you. Reveal to us ways, practical ways, that we can be generous 
and help us to do that by your spirit. We thank you, Christ, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.